From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app, Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel, Kim Cunningham, meteorologist and social media manager at Agora Pulse, Jen Watson, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator, Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn Storm Spotter and Chaser, Phil Johnson. Hey, welcome everybody to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the award-winning Stormfront Freaks podcast. And if you're listening for the first time, hey, thanks for looking us up. And don't forget to visit stormfrontfreaks.com to access our library of past shows with famous guests from the weather industry. Uh, We've had author of The Man Who Caught the Storm, uh, Brantley Hargrove. He was with us once. We've also had Severe Storms Lab scientist Harold Brooks. Uh, But tonight, this is episode 88, and we're with the author of the new book, The Weather Machine. Andrew Blum is here tonight. Yeah. (laughs) So we're we're excited to be talking to Andrew uh, about his book. And as always, we get to play the lightning round game show with Andrew. And I will say this, you are in for a treat tonight as you're getting double the pleasure and double the fun because we have hashtag weather fools and a visit from weather trollbot 5000. Oh, man. So, uh, before, before we get to all of that, before Maz leaves the show, uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to introduce our co-hosts. Uh, best way to do it. It's always happy hour. Anytime we record... Uh, it's always happy hour. We step up to the Stormfront Freaks bar, and we always ask you to join us if you're not at work or driving. Uh, you're certainly <laughs> or, welcome to. Or under 21. <laughs> or that, too, Yeah. Uh, to join us. But uh, let's find out what everyone's drinking because we're here to have a good time. Maz, what are you sucking down tonight? Oh, I'm going easy tonight. I'm overly carbed, so I went Mick Ultra because I'm oh, watching my really? diet. You are. Yeah. You've gone. You've really gone. You went from the, yeah. the, the high-carb c- craft beer. Oh, yeah. To the uh, low carb water, it's, basically. It's, it's yeah, it's basically. quite re- it's quite refreshing. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, Jen, Jen Watson, welcome back. Oh my uh, god, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, so I've I've got a fabulous mug. I don't know if you can see it, Stormfront Freaks. Yes. Oh, the word, mm-hmm. nice. you, get that? you know we do have a store. We have shirts and stuff too. Yeah, um, Felicity.co. Yep. Okay. Um, I am drinking some deliciously warm hot chocolate. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm going a little crazy tonight. Usually it's sparkling water. Um, if I drink alcohol, I just got my daughter down. If I drink alcohol, I'm going to fall asleep. Um, and I want to be here, but plus it feels amazing outside guys. It's like a chill to the air and we've been in like the nineties near hundred. So no it's kidding. like hot chocolate weather. Wow. Wait, in how, in how hot, hot is it? It was in the oh, low eighties, oh, cool. but, but now it's cool because it's in the seventies and there's a breeze. <laughs> No, but Maz, wait a minute. That's not hot chocolate. (laughs) Well, hey, I got to do this. So, so we we got we always tell our guests, you know, if we we, we've got a digital green room, and if we had it fully stocked, we'd let you join us. So, Andrew, uh, I hear you are joining us here at the bar tonight. What are you drinking, sir? Uh, Well, I I wasn't didn't come very prepared, but I found in my office fridge a uh, a Brooklyn Lager with a a vintage label because it expired in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you tried it a little I, bit? 
I took one sip and I'm not going to take another because I, okay. <laughs> I think that I thought you said it wasn't too bad. The aftertaste has not been good. So okay. I, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, let Maz, let's do this. Let's give and, Andrew a good introduction. All right. Excellent. Hey, Andrew Blum is an author and journalist writing about technology, infrastructure, architecture, design, cities, art, travel. Man, you're into everything, aren't you? As a magazine journalist, he was published dozens of feature stories in publications including Time, Wired, Popular Science, Vanity Fair, and the New York Times. His previous book, Tubes, A Journey to the Center of the Internet, was the first ever book-length look at the physical infrastructure of the internet. Now, his new book, The Weather Machine, A Journey Inside the Forecast, was published in June of this year. 2019. So welcome, Andrew. Thank what, you, everybody. What, what, okay, so what was it that sparked this idea to begin with? How did you even like, boom, this is a book I got to do? Uh, I mean, I was writing mostly about infrastructure. You know, I was kind of looking around, thinking about what, what you know, what the sort of range of big complex systems are. The sweet spot for me is things that we kind of all touch every day that are you know, completely ubiquitous, but also are complicated enough that the barrier to entry is a little bit higher. Um, you know, I feel like those are the things that books can do better than magazine articles. Uh, and I also kind of knew that there's something that there's the the sort of tools of journalism can do different uh, from the people who are in this every single day. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, think about things like weather models. Uh, I felt like I could tell a story about weather models in a different way than the people who build them. But the real, the impetus, and this is how I how I begin the book. But the impetus where it all kind of came together was with Hurricane Sandy. Um, so it's 2012. It's almost exactly seven years ago, and um, I uh, I was just remember being completely shocked um, by the speed at which all of the meteorologists I followed on Twitter immediately freaked out uh, that Sunday afternoon, eight days before the storm. And um, it was confusing because it was clearly it, this wasn't about any kind of intuition. This wasn't about the sort of close look at the maps or any kind of analysis that was being done in a human way. Um, this was entirely uh, the output of the weather models. Um, and obviously that was an incredible model run uh, by the Euro sort of famous model run that Sunday afternoon, eight days before the storm hit New York. And I really just uh, couldn't, had not caught up with the fact that the weather models had gotten so good. And I had not caught up with the fact that um, that they'd become a kind of different kind of tool than than I than you know I don't I don't know I don't even know what I thought they were, um, and um, you know began to poke around and began to realize um, that in fact uh, these improvements had been relatively recent, um, that in fact there was a sort of sort of culmination of you know call it a hundred years uh, of of work by meteorologists and this sort of you know confluence of all of these systems from supercomputers to satellites. Uh, and realized that I thought there was a, a, a book there, that there was a story to be told about how these, how you know, how we'd gotten to the point we're at today uh, in meteorology, um, you know, driven so much by these technologies that are also a big part of our life and in many other forms. Now, were you, uh, real quick, I got to ask this: Were you a, a history minor at all? Because the no. history in this, the storytelling, <laughs> I was intrigued by everything. Like, oh. That's where that came from. I yeah. honestly did not know a lot of that information. Jen probably did. Yeah, you know, this is true. This is true. Very true, Maz. Um, Andrew, I'm just intrigued by, I mean, all the things that you've done and, and covered and, and written about. Where, like, 
what caused you to start? Like, tell us about your journey. You're like, okay, Hurricane Sandy, um, Mm -hmm. you didn't realize that, wow, the weather models have actually improved that significantly. So where did you start? Where were you like, okay, I got to go here. I got to do this. And then like kind Mm -hmm. of explain sort of your journey that you went on. Yeah, I, um, I sort of puttered around with the idea for a while. And then uh, in January of 2014, um, I decided, or a little bit before that, in the fall of 2013, I decided that I it was time to get serious about this idea. And I went to um, AMS, to the American Meteorological Society Conference, which that year was in Atlanta. Uh, oh my God, I was there. Yep, yep. And uh, it was and it was amazing because it, you know, it, was, it was a chance to kind of wander the halls and go to a lot of sessions. And pick out, um, you know, who, you know, who find the interesting characters and interesting stories. And most remarkably, um, the kind of uh, weather journalist press corps, as much as it is, um, Jason Same now with the Washington Post, um, Guy Guy Walton, um, uh, 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 Bob Henson, uh, kind of welcomed me in. You know, they never, you know, had just just said, you know, join us for dinner. You know, come, you know, come hang out with us. You know, we'll kind of point you in the right directions. I just were incredibly generous um, in sort of sharing, uh, you know, sh- sort of sharing their insights, and it was really from there that I met a lot of key people and began to kind of track the course of, of how I wanted to do this. And the second piece of it was actually I was introduced to a guy named Robert Pincus, um, who's a uh, an atmospheric scientist. He's actually he lives in Brooklyn, but he's um his kind of institutional affiliation is at um at in Colorado. Um, and, um, and he kind of over a, a many lunches began to answer all my dumb questions. I kind of feel like as a journalist, you can come in dumb, but you're supposed to come out a little smarter, but coming in dumb's okay. Uh, <laughs> and that like, um, uh, and that was, um, the, that, and then the next big step for me was I went to the, the wharf users workshop in Boulder that June. Nice. Um, and same thing, uh, you know, just, you know, a room full of experts, um, and I would just go up to them at the coffee breaks and ask them a lot of questions. Um, and I had a, I had a short magazine article to work on. I kind of had an excuse to ask them a bunch of questions for, um, <laughs> for modern farmer magazine, which actually no longer exists. Um, but the, um, but it was, it was that, that kind of lay the groundwork, um, of beginning to sort of realize who the relatively small pool of people are, um, primarily in the weather modeling world. I wasn't going to sort of touch the broader meteorological world. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was, that was, it was a different thing than I was after. Um, I kind of wanted to start at the narrow end of the funnel to see, um, see what kind of stories I could tell from that. I love that. Oh, go ahead, Miss. I was going to say you interviewed and met and spoke with a whole bunch of people. Who was your favorite? What was it? Thomas Jefferson? Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a good interview. Yeah, he's a bit stuffy. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, it's not Dry. in the book, but I went, I went to, um, I went to Philadelphia to see the room that he ostensibly wrote the Declaration of Independence in. Just kind of, you know, I really just kind of stuck. Like, took the commuter train one day and just said, like, what, what would it, what would it be like to try to describe the starting point of the story with American meteorology with Jefferson? Um, and, um, you know, it, it ended up on the cutting room floor, uh, but it was really, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was my, uh, my foolish attempt to actually try to interview Thomas Jefferson. So you joke, but you know, no, it was good. <laughs> it was a dry, dry conversation. Sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so what, um, Andrew explain to us some of the most surprising findings and most intriguing findings, um, along this journey that would surprise like the everyday person, even, you know, a meteorologist that went to school for this. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I mean, the, the rate 
of improvement of the models never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and yeah, we can talk about the Euro and the GFS and all that, but what we're really talking about when we talk about that is which one is getting better faster, you know, everything's getting better all at once. And, um, and it's tricky because, uh, for meteorologists and for the public, um, I think there's a kind of way of thinking about how well things work and what, what our expectations are. Um, and behind that, uh, we have this incredible improvement, you know, you know, every six months, you know, year by year, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, I, I love to put it, you know, you can put it in terms of the iPhone, you know, when the iPhone came out, the weather models weren't as good noticeably, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the Monday forecast for the weekend wasn't great. You know, the, you need the Tuesday forecast or the Wednesday forecast, you know, so 10 years later, um, you know, we've, we've really, we've picked up a day in a way that I, I kind of see in practice constantly. Um, and, um, and I think that, I mean, that, that's still, you know, I mean, again, we've had an amazing, uh, terrifying last, you know, six weeks or so, but yeah. with just so many of these examples, um, where the tools that we now have at our disposal to know what's coming, even if they can't, of course, change what's coming, um, have become really powerful. And, and I think that strangely, that's a surprise. That's a surprise to all of us. So, so you, you don't oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Jen, keep going. So what do you think is the biggest thing that we have lacking um, in the meteorological world in, in forecasting? What is the biggest thing that we need to help us better um, to get forecasts a lot farther in advance and warnings and everything like that? Game show hosts. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Um, I think, well, I think there are two ways to think about that question. Actually, at first I thought you were asking sort of what's missing from the way we talk about the weather, what's missing from how we use the forecast. Um, and I think that's a really interesting conversation, but I guess the other way to answer that is really what do we need to make to, you know, to, to technically make the forecast better, to make the models better and all that. Let yeah. me take the second part, because I think it's a little bit easier. <laughs> Don't take it down a different road. Um, I'm amazed by, um, uh, you know, I, in, in visiting the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecast, home of the Euro, and then talking to some of the different um, uh, satellite um, uh, experts and developers and things like that, it really sounds like the wind up, the wind observing satellites are going to be a major breakthrough. Um, that seems to be the thing that they're most excited about. That's, okay. you know, and, um, which is, which, which, which was surprising to me. Um, and then certainly uh, the microwave sounders over the last 10 years that have come into the polar orbiters, you know, not the geostationary satellites, not the GOES, which of course are the ones we kind of, you know, drool over mostly. Um, you know, it's really the polar orbiters that have the data that can't be seen, you know, all the numerical data, the data that's kind of, you know, more useful for computers than for people um, that have been been driving so much of the improvement in the models, not, not you know, and we can talk about that, that distinction between the models and the forecasts. But the, um, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that, um, that's pretty promising. I mean, it seems like, you know, we've got, you know, the rate of improvement is going to increase from, 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 from how I read it. So you, might so my question, Andrew, you talked what's what I like about the book is so you talk about the history and you start with how how did we get good at um, forecasting weather, starting mm -hmm. from you know the big advancement of the telegraph, for example. <laughs> Telegraph's um, a good technology. It's a to, yeah, of <laughs> being able to communicate yeah, yeah to other people of mm -hmm. what's coming, mm -hmm. right? But you also then you so you keep going down the line and you get into you talk about the ghost satellites and the you talk about uh, the, the data that these models are getting. So through my, my question is how, what do you feel through all these advancements? And, and obviously there's just like technology, it's the, the advancements now happen so much faster than the advancements 
you know, did a uh, hundred years ago to even a decade ago. Mm-hmm. What what did you feel through all that research? What was what do you think was the biggest advancement so far in weather forecasting? What was it? I, I mean, it's really the satellite era. I mean, that's really that's really the thing. And I don't, I don't think I realized that when I started. You know, I, I thought satellites were one piece of the observing system, and I mean, they are one piece of the observing system. But the ability to uh, to get a picture of the entire Earth, and that's not just a sort of technical thing. Um, it's almost more of a philosophical thing, you know, this sort of getting accustomed as humans to looking looking down on the earth rather than only looking up at the sky um, has been such a defining change for, for, for everything. You know, I mean, that not just the kind of blue marble picture of the earth, but the actual technical ability for, for, for satellites to, 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 to measure the entire atmosphere as a step, importantly, for a global atmospheric model you know, that's the key tool that's giving us longer range forecasts. And, you know, my bias in the book and kind of my, my sort of interest is in this sort of medium and longer range, you know, that, that kind of seeing into the future, I, I find, um, uh, you know, it's kind of my East coast bias. I think, you know, I'm like, you know, it's, it's more, it's more about the, you know, the snowstorm coming five days than it is about the, um, the, the front coming in three hours. Um, but the, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, that, that ability to have an entire picture of the globe, as a tool towards getting towards stepping farther back and or forward in time uh, for longer range forecasts is really, I think what, 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 what's the crux of it for me. I love that. So um, just thinking about the international like alliance that we have, cause I know, I believe it was the 1900 uh, hurricane uh, that hit Texas and we weren't really talking well with um, the meteorologists in Cuba. We didn't get, you know, accurate information. Um, there wasn't a lot of communication. And so um, we were kind of caught off guard with that. I know there's more of a story to that. But when thinking of, okay, you know, sometimes, you know, countries, you know, politically, we, we don't get along. Is there a weakness somewhere that you're concerned of um, kind of, going through this research and everything that could potentially hurt or hinder our growth um, in, in the golden age of meteorology, as you say. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I think that at the moment, we've got a lot of momentum. Um, we've got a really mature global system of exchanging weather observations um, where we've got a really mature system of, of those observations being pulled into the global weather models and then being distributed back out to the world. Um, I think that there is the risk that we kind of take that friendly and constant and and sort of very carefully calibrated exchange of global data for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the risks, and it's not happening yet, but you kind of can begin to see the seams of it, um, is with a shift towards towards private satellites and private uh, observations of different kinds, whether, you know, from car sensors or smartphones or things like that. Um, where uh, and you see this really clearly, you know, the, the private satellite companies now, companies like Spire, um, you know, they uh, they want to be able to sell their data more than once. Um, and according to the current rules of the road uh, for how weather data is exchanged globally among weather services around the world, um, that doesn't work. Uh, and, um, you know, if, if we, if, if NOAA insisted that no, they're not going to share that data, um, and the Europeans said, well, then we're not going to share our data back. Um, you know, there, the potential for this 150-year-old system to fragment, um, and you don't have that global weather exchange, uh, global exchange of data uh, is very, is, is there. 
Um, and we'd all last about two days, you know, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd, that, that would be that, um, you know, that everything, the whole, whole system would fall apart. You would, you, you know, you could, there'd be some inertia in the system for a couple more days and then there would be no more, no more, no more five day forecast. That would be it. So it's, I, I think it's, I, it's, it hasn't happened yet. Um, but there are certainly some trends that point towards it. Um, if we're not careful with what we have. Have you thought about turning this into a movie? Because I've thought about two or three movies that could come out of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, no, I, I mean, no. I, I, yeah. are you, you're going to have to private message me. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. All right. Well, and it's, tell not you what, we're, it's not Sharknado. It's not Sharknado. It's not Sharknado. We're going to take a quick break. Go ahead and refill your drink and check out our exclusive tracker chat uh, with the Tornado Trackers as they discuss, listen to this, their favorite eateries on Chase Day. Does that sound cool or what? Yeah. I think it's good. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new edition of Tracker Chat. I am Gabe Cox. I am joined by my storm chasing partner, Jeff Mangum. Uh, Jeremy Heyman is not feeling well this evening, unfortunately, so he will not be joining us. But Jeff and I this week, we figured it would be a great time to answer some listener questions. Uh, This week's question is, what are some of your favorite places to eat at while on the road? Um, (laughs) I think this is a a super important question to answer. Jeff, I'm going to let you start because you are more of a foodie than I am. <laughs> and by foodie, uh, you mean that I will eat anything. <laughs> and it does not have to be high-level <laughs> kind of food. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, there's two things that come to mind when it comes to storm chasing. Actually, uh, three, okay? N- in no particular order. Um, Allsop's burritos. Yes. So anyone who has chased in, in particular, West Texas or the Texas Panhandle know about Allsup's burritos. And I feel like I'm one of the rare breed in the world who they do not tear my stomach up. So I actually thoroughly enjoy these Allsup's burritos with the taco sauce. And so if you have never done this, this is actually kind of a rite of passage. Um, when it comes to storm chasing, you have to get Allsup's burritos, this gas station, these gas stations are everywhere. West Texas and the Panhandle, and you have to get one or two of these burritos. And when they say, do you want taco sauce? If you say no, then you should just quit your chase that day. Uh, <laughs> you must say yes to the taco sauce. Such a great, great food. Not for you, but it is delicious. Um, I think uh, what we typically have our go-to at is, is McDonald's. Um, McDonald's is easy. You're always thinking about trying to have your mind on some multiple things and what's easy to toss in. Chicken nuggets it used to be a six count, then a ten count. I don't know what's happening now, but it's the twenty count that's happening <laughs> these days. And uh, and then I think the third thing that is a consistent uh, part of my diet, and it sounds like I'm gonna I'm gonna die soon. What I just described is Reese's peanut butter cups. They are yeah. Uh, I can I attest them, to this. It, <laughs> yeah, but the good thing about the Reese's is that it seems to be a good luck charm. Um, it is. So usually when Jeff comes back after I filled up the gas tank and he hops in the car with a pack of Reese's pieces, I put my game face on because things are <laughs> about true. to change. It's true. Things are be- <laughs> circulation will happen. What about for you? Uh, what is the consistent thing that seems to happen when we go to McDonald's uh, for <laughs> breakfast in particular? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm first of all, I want to apologize to whoever submitted this question because we're giving really disappointing answers. Um, <laughs> totally, totally. We, uh, I think there are a lot of chasers who have uh, bookmarked restaurants in specific towns. We do not do that because we streamline our eating. Um, when I said Jeff was a foodie, I knew full well. He and I are both not foodies at all. Um, <laughs> food is something to energize us for the chase, and that's about it. Um, yeah, so we had an interesting situation pop up last year, I believe it was, <laughs> um, where in the morning we would go into McDonald's. That's our usual breakfast spot, free Wi-Fi, cheap coffee, and a hearty breakfast. And mm-hmm. we would both order some eggs and sausages on a platter. Word for word, we'd order the same thing. But somehow <laughs> my my order would always come out a little bit different than Jeff's. I would either end up with an entire platter just of eggs overflowing or very few eggs on this platter. And it varied every morning. So I never knew if I was going to have way too much food or not enough. And Jeff somehow managed to get the exact order uh, (laughs) that we were both looking for. And every place we stopped... We documented. We documented. We have on that chase. We could make a coffee table book with the images we gathered that chase. It's true. Um, But yeah, Jeff ended up with nice, consistent breakfasts, and I. It was a gamble every morning of what I was going to get. So I had to have uh, a diet. I started a diet a couple years ago uh, where I was cutting out bread, dairy, and sugar. Um, and if you're eating out on the road, that kind of narrows down your choices dramatically. So again, McDonald's was a great place to settle on because I could get their Southwest chicken salad. Uh, well, so my, I've never, I've never had a, I've never had a salad in 43 years, not <laughs> one salad in 43 years of my life. So, um, but yeah, it really narrows down the food options. I can't just go dive into any restaurant and, and get whatever I want. Although sometimes I do, if it's a really successful chase, I'll celebrate with a burger yeah. and include <laughs> the bun in that instead of a lettuce wrap. Um, that's, that's when you know there was a tornado outbreak. Yeah, way? if there's a tornado outbreak, I'll get hamburger buns. <laughs> um, yeah, this is turning out to be a really sad episode of Tornado Trackers. People, <laughs> people are going to tune out real quick. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, yeah, there you have it. There's the sad answer to the question. Uh, where do you eat when you go storm chasing? We are not sponsored by McDonald's in any way. But we just, we'd be happy if, if we would be sponsor. happy to. Yeah. Um, but if you have any questions for our team, we are now taking questions for Tracker Chat and we'd be happy to answer them. You may get a disappointing answer, much like this one, or you may <laughs> be surprised at uh, the wealth of knowledge that we might have. Um, Fair warning, though, they're probably going to end up more like this one than not. (laughs) But yeah, if you guys have any questions, feel free to email us, tornadotrackers at gmail.com. We'd love to answer any questions you have about storm chasing. Um, But we'll see you guys next week on Tracker Chat. Felicity.co is the leader in weather-themed clothing and accessories for the Stormfront Freak and you. Besides a creative line of weather-themed t-shirts, footwear, bags, and more, they also carry an exclusive line of Stormfront Freak's podcast gear and drinkware. 
get a 10% discount on your entire order when you use the code SFF for Stormfront Freaks at checkout. That code again is SFF. Find it all at Helicity.co. Hey, welcome back, everybody. So we're with Andrew Blum, author of the new book, The Weather Machine, A Journey Inside the Forecast. Uh, by the way, I've got a copy right here that uh, I will mention this later, but um, Harper Collins uh, sent to us to be able to give to one of our fans. Uh, so keep a lookout on our Twitter account next week, which is at Stormfront Freak without the S. Uh, keep a lookout on that. We'll uh, we'll post how you can uh, be in the drawing to win uh, Andrew's book. So uh, thanks to Harper Collins for that. But Andrew, so I've I've got another question. This I don't know why I was thinking this. Must have been a little bit of Maz in me because he's always thinking <laughs> the money angle on things. But good thing, right? So yeah. so again, as you were talking early on, one one of the the advances that happened, and this was I believe it was around the 1850s, but uh, the Smithsonian headquarters started putting together and, and using telegraph, but starting to put together a world map, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or no, U.S. It was just, just U.S. Yeah. observations, massive map. And then there were what, posting like the observations they'd get from everybody? Yeah, I mean, the, on the only, map? there's no, there's no image of it that, that, that I, that we know that exists, but um, apparently they're like little discs, you know, like little paper discs and they would stick them on the, uh, you know, on, on little pins in each, in each observation point uh, with, with the latest, you know, whatever had been sent by telegraph that morning uh, with so the temperature and conditions. Would, would, I think would just be cool to see that. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I'm, and, and part, part of me is like, you know, there needs to be a weather app that has a visual image that looks like a big, board mm-hmm. with a bunch of stick pins in it with observations <laughs> it's funny it's how i picture like you know the weather underground layer with all the observation yeah. stations that's kind of i kind of just i pictured high up on the wall with the with with paper discs but but yeah. i i do you know what the reason was why the smithsonian headquarters chose to be the uh, central headquarters for those observations and information that's a good question um it would have predated the start of the Weather Bureau. So there was no National Weather Service or Weather Bureau as it was before. And it and the Smithsonian was as it is now, a kind of scientific organization. So it was these um the program, there was funding, I think, from from Congress, government funding for Smithsonian observers, uh, you know, where they could, you know, they would get a stack of postcards at first and could would send them in uh, with observations and they could begin to kind of retroactively draw a map of the of, of weather across the country. And, I, and then at some point, um, uh, I guess it would have been the 1850s there, as the telegraph came in, um, that system sort of went live, uh, where you had observers um, sort of tapping in their observations, you know, in, in you know, each morning, and then the map getting updated day by day. Um, but that, um, but it would have been, you know, pre-Weather Bureau, but would have been government funding um, for, uh, for those observations from the Smithsonian as this kind of scientific organization. Hmm. Wasn't there a big gap after that too? Because like janitor Bob plugged in a fan and all the stuff on the wall came down. Is that what happened? <laughs> Bob. Uh, the everyone always um, blames Bob. It, that's yeah. right. Uh, Civil War happened. That was one piece. Of the map split in half. Um, so you you don't have you you have you, you lose your observations from the south. 
Um, and then, um, and then the Smithsonian burned. Um, so it was a kind of, it was a, the, the original, yeah, yeah, Bob yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> down a bit. So Andrew, for everyone that's listening, can you give us like a quick 60 second version of, okay, the history, um, coming from dating back to like the 1800s or whatever, 1850 to modern meteorology, like the biggest turning points um, yeah. up until now. Well, I'm gonna. Can I use that 60 seconds to not answer the question? Yes. <laughs> um, I think. I guess the thing that was really interesting to me was if you start with the weather models and work backwards, you end up with a different history. Um, and um, you know, there's a kind of there's a history of meteorology that sort of, you know, is about the way in which the forecast improved year by year. And there's a different history of meteorology that's about how the numerical weather prediction was sort of first conceptualized and then improved. Because, um, like, you know, to, okay, to, to answer your question more properly, I mean, first you have the telegraph. So first you have this ability to kind of communicate, you know, you know immediately across place. Um, and that's the kind of step one. Um, and then um, thinking about the weather models, you have uh, Wilhelm Bjorkness, this Norwegian meteorologist, um, who essentially wrote down the equations that describe the, the evolution of the atmosphere um, and had no way to calculate them, of course. Um, and so his project was kind of considered a failure uh, really for, for 50 or almost 60 years. Um, but the equations kind of persisted. And then by the time uh, we had computers and, you know, beginning uh, sort of after World War II in the 50s, um, you could begin to kind of actually put them into place and calculate the weather, the, the future weather before the future actually came. Um, and with that, um, that kind of steady improvement of computing from the fifties, you know, until the present, um, it was about the mid seventies that, that operational weather models kicked in and, you know, you, you know, you guys tell me, but I, you know, I would call it, you know, not until the last, you know, f you know, 15 years ago, um, where the models, um, really began to, um, rise up past being a single tool among equals and really become a kind of dominant way. Um, that um, that that the forecast is put together um, more and more so each year, and I know that's that's sort of debatable. But it is striking to me that um, there's a there's a different history of forecasting that 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 exists um, separate from numerical weather prediction using the, the weather models, um, and that that kind of follows a different track um, than actually tracing what the historical developments of the models themselves were. I love that, Andrew. Yeah, I was going to say it was amazing because I'm. When I was back in the 80s and the limited fine mesh came out first and then the, oh, the NGM is out. This is amazing. <laughs> but back then, we were still looking at it as like, yeah, it's, it's kind of guidance. And so yeah. as a meteorologist, you were like, okay, but you know what? That, I don't think that's going to happen. Today, it's very, very different. You know, mm -hmm. there's times when I would have looked at something and been like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And yeah. then just like it said in the model there's that little thunderstorm that popped up right over this one county and you're like how in the heck did it you know what i'm saying where you yeah. you kind of look at it as a meteorologist and go well guess i could wash cars or something in the future <laughs> well that's not, that's not fair though i mean that's you know because the um i mean i i think and this is i'm you know I, i'm not making this up but it's really interesting to me that you the better the forecast becomes, the more important the decision making becomes. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you know, the higher stakes of the decisions. You know, if the forecast, if everyone thinks the forecast is no good or you've no confidence in the forecast, then you can't really, you shouldn't really be making decisions with it anyway. Mm -hmm. But now that the forecast is very good, um, we have big decisions to make, often, you know, farther in advance than we're than you know, we we've considered making them before. 
um, again, it's been a wild, you know, it's been a wild six weeks, um, but it's just been amazing to see the decisions made and not made. I mean, I think if, you know, Miami, you know, Dorian sort of turning towards it and everyone just kind of saying, you know, this is no, you know, no worries. You know, we know what this is going to do. Um, and I, I put this question on Twitter to, um, to Eric Blake at the, at the Hurricane Center. You know, what, what would we, what would this have looked like 30 years ago? You know, what would be going on right now there 30 years ago? Um, and he's agreed there's, there's sort of, there weren't the tools to know it was going to turn up the coast. It would have been the evacuation of, um, you know, of whatever it is. You know, well, minutes. you know, we had Dr. Uh, Hobgood on, uh, gosh, last year or something. And mm -hmm. he was my professor back in Nebraska. And so as a numerical model with hurricanes, he would actually drive to Chicago to run his program because it would take, you know, like a part of a weekend up there, but it would have taken a whole week or two at Nebraska at the time. Yeah. And now that with the Cray computers and the computations of two and a half hours or less, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, and, and we, uh, and we all kind of, and again, you know, these are, these are, these are hot button issues in meteorology, you know, we can complain about, you know, the, you know, whether or not it's good to post a single model run for six days out. Um, but you know, they're, but they're there, you know, they, those were, they exist that, that data exists. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think that there is a real, a transition that is happening, but I think still needs to happen more in this mesh between the technical systems we have um, between the, 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 the meteorologists and the public. And we kind of, there's a lot of hand waving about kind of, Oh, you know, social media changes things, et cetera, et cetera. But I really do think everyone's role is evolving in a, in a, in a different way. And, 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 you know, the, the conversation is changing, you know, I think, you know, certainly, to, but, but there's still, still more to happen, I think. I kind of agree with you, Andrew. It's interesting how whether models are available for everyone. I mm -hmm. mean, even if you're like a, a geek and you're 12 years old, I mean, you could put out a forecast on social, which makes it a little bit scary. And where we have those <laughs> forecasts where they're like, 10 days out, there's going to be a massive snowstorm that, you know, yeah. dumps four feet of snow on New York City. What are you going to do? So it's like <laughs> the, the, the whole, like, now you should do a book on like social evolution, you know, like, I, or I don't know. It's so interesting. I, I you know, but the funny thing about, I mean, I, I, part of, I think that, um, I mean, that the, the proverbial kind of, you know, teenager posting model outputs hysterically, I think, yeah, that, 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 that's crazy. But at the same, but I do think the opposite, the saying, well, we shouldn't share the pub share with the public, these model runs, because we know that they're not necessarily going to be right. I, I don't think that's necessary. I, I, that to me, that doesn't make sense when you, you can't complain that, the public's going to take things seriously because and think it's right. And then also complain that the public thinks you're wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, you know, you, you know, there's a, everyone knows that the forecasts change. Um, you know, if, and, and if there's a clear communication of, of confidence, then you have a new tool to make, to, you know, to, to make decisions with it. So we, have, we lose Jen. Have they ever run the model just out as fast as possible years ahead in the future? I mean, I know the errors would be crazy, but it it would be just fascinating to see what they came up with. Like, hey, the year twenty one hundred, here's what's going on. You mean with the the weather model itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know when they do uh, this is not. I'm 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 a little shaky with this, but I mean they do do the the sort of twenty eight day runs and things like that. And um, I mean they they can show some big trends, um, but I think they start to get wonky pretty quickly. Um, but the flip side, though, is that, you know, eight days is pretty good. You know, eight, yeah. you know, eight, you know, eight, eight days is totally reasonable. Um, not all the time, but certainly some of the time. Um, go ahead. 
Oh yeah. Oh, and, and I was going to say, uh, talking about um, the forecast, like because uh, the super tornado outbreak of 2011, mm -hmm. we knew literally, like, I mean, even eight days out, the models were starting to look like we were going to have a bad outbreak. Yeah. But we're just like, I don't know. That could be just a weird model run. And then I remember it was the Friday before, like, it happened on a Wednesday. That Friday before, five days out, they started putting out the National Weather Service and everyone. That was like the most well forecasted like yeah. generational tornado outbreak we've ever had and it, even then though sadly right right we lost so many people and isn't that isn't that is, is that that's the outbreak that's kind of pointed at as the shift in the weather services direction right you know that they're you know of, of shifting towards communication of impacts and mm. rather than the, the forecast itself i mean that, that's a real 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 turning point you know, in the way that that um that the role of meteorologists is in aiding decision makers, I think, has is, is, is changed. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. It was one of those that even like, you know, I was uh, on camera in Tupelo, Mississippi, and we had technically, I think, three EF5 tornadoes in our viewing area that like touched down at like different points. And so, I mean, it was it was devastating, but it's like, how do you even I remember that day because literally it was like if you hear thunder get underground because i mean every storm was spinning and, and dropping things but yeah. um you know thinking um ahead to the future and through your research like do you have a lot more respect for meteorologists not that you never had respect for meteorologists but is there like an overarching feel of just like wow there's so much more to the forecast than just what you see on tv she's fishing She's yeah, I'm totally I, well, I, when you say meteorologists, what do you mean? <laughs> do, you, oh. do you mean the whole, you mean the kind of the whole from soup to nuts? Or do you mean, do you mean more the piece between the weather models and Americans or? I guess, um, you know, we meteorologists get the bad rap of, you know, we just guess and whatever, but it takes a lot of like for like oh, yeah. true meteorologists look at multiple different weather models and right. it's not just, you know, and, and so I think, you know, the overall like engineer scientists that make the models and, you know, keep up with it. And then there's the different meteorologists that actually have to interpret the models and make yeah. the forecast. But it's all like it has to be a well-oiled machine because right. if the one's maintaining the models. So and I feel like a lot of people have no idea, like, you know, how in-depth really the forecast and weather is. I mean, um, uh, well, I'll be honest with you, and I'll kind of preface this with a with a, with a description. <laughs> I um, there's a when you I kind of I joke that I sort of have Stockholm syndrome with you know with these topics that I get into. Um, you know, I, when I wrote about the internet, uh, it was really you know it's like I the people who ran the network were the heroes. Um, when I throughout the sort of process of this book, it was really the the weather modelers that were the heroes. Um, and as a result, there was a period of time, and again, I started this, you know, started thinking about this heavily in 2012, um, and I think it's changed in those seven years. But there was a period of time where I was very frustrated by um, first the unwillingness of some meteorologists to acknowledge the um, acknowledge the what they were getting from the models, you know, to really kind of keep the models at arm's length because. Yeah. You know, Maz, as you, you know, they they were threatening and somehow, you know, that they kind of were doing, you know, doing your job for you. Um, and I really think that's changed. I mean, I really think that in the last seven years, the way in which um, the models are recognized as tools. And again, you know, if you have if you have a great technical forecast, the communication becomes that much more important. 
um, and the, the 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 way in which meteorologists have stepped up to really to to clarify that and to be more confident um, and to point at the moments of of ambiguity or of less confidence, um, uh, I think has really been impressive. And we're seeing, I mean, again, it's been a crazy six weeks, but you know, again and again, we see these successes. Um, that that I that I you know I I mean there there were other successes, but there were also failures. You know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Um, and I and the trend is certainly in the right direction. So Jen, Andrew's answer is no. It's just no. <laughs> no, I, I love his answer. <laughs> Andrew, that was the best answer ever. It's going to be recorded, chopped up, and you know. Okay. Good. Yes. Thank you, Andrew. But it was. But I will say it was. Um, it was really important to me to step back a little bit from you know to focus on this piece of the story that I thought was less told. Um, yeah. And it I actually, it, it took a while to recognize that the, this, the two pieces weren't in conflict with each other, that it wasn't about choosing sides with it, that it was really about, you know, everybody working together. I love All that. Right, so, so last question, Andrew. So going into the book, mm -hmm. writing the book, uh, a non-weather guy. Uh, all of a sudden does all this research, looks into all these models to understand how they work and the history. Now that we're done, what, what have you learned that now you might still be using uh, from as far as weather information that you find yourself looking at or using now that you never were before you started the book? Um, in terms of my own daily, you could have sure. used the forecast. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just, I, um, I, well, I trust the detail more than I used to, you know, I just, you know, I, you know, I, 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 my, uh, my daughter's softball team, my co-coach was teasing me because he'd be like, you know, <laughs> is it going to start raining at 10 or 11? You know, it makes a big difference. <laughs> um, and it was, you could kind of, you could get close to saying that. Um, but that was, that's sort of information that a lot of people discard as not possible. Um, or they, you know, and, and or the, app they're using or the the meteorologist they're watching you know it's kind of smooths out the different you know smooths out the jagged edges of that um, but it's pretty remarkable um to see you know particularly in the kinds of weather we have you know in springtime in the northeast as an example um to say well okay there's this you know really looks like this this you know this this rain's coming in at you know at at, at between you know between in the four o'clock hour and it's going to be fine until then um and that's you know that's a kind of crazy power because um you know you're coach listens to you <laughs> <laughs> so they they think you uh, you've got it all now right hey i could be a meteorologist yeah. <laughs> well hey that uh, that's the sound uh, it is time for our lightning round so a uh, lightning round this is our game show of flashy questions for our guest i'm having well, some trouble in... with my connection i can't tell what's going on i can't hear you sorry okay. <laughs> <laughs> it won't matter that's what they all say. Uh, so we always invite everybody to play along. So if you're at home, play along with us as well. So, Andrew, here's the thing. Your, your bio says it all. You're an author and journalist about tech, infrastructure, architecture, design, cities, art, travel, now <laughs> weather. Uh, no, I figured if, yeah. if, if we're going to play anything with you, uh, we're going to have to play a little uh, Trivial Pursuit. Uh-oh. Okay. I'm, I'm figuring you've got to know this is, everything. This is, so this is like Jeopardy, but not quite, right? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. So I've, I've got a, a, a stack of uh, Trivial Pursuit cards here. I'm just going to randomly pick one. But here are I'm the categories. Google, right? No, that'd be okay. cheap. You know this stuff, right? You, you, you write on everything. So Andrew is my lifeline, just to let you know. Okay. All right, so we have uh, people and places. We have arts and entertainment. We have history, science and na nature, 
uh, sports and leisure, and then wild card. Okay. And I'm just going to randomly pick one card, <laughs> and we're going to go through each each of the questions in that one card, and uh, we're we're just yeah we're going to just have a little fun with it. Now I will say this: so you got Maz and Jen, you're welcome to get their feedback. They're okay. welcome to chime in. This is a little bit of a free for all, but I'm going to go off of your final answer. Makes sense. I like the dance music. Very good. All right, so here we go. So let let's start. Do you want to pick which cat, or should I just go down the down the card here? Just go for it. All right. So <laughs> we'll start with people and places. Let me get my glasses here. All right. What snack is called a cachorro quente in Portugal, a chin chowd in France, and a pierto caliente in Spain? What snack is called those things? Uh, and again, I, I totally butchered <laughs> it. So it's like you're, you're, it's you're thinking, well, what you said in Portugal no, was was pizza, and what you said in France was a mouse, and what you say <laughs> a snack. It has to be a snack. So it says, what snack is called a cachorro quente in Portugal, a chien chowd in France? It didn't sound French. I totally butchered that. Mm. And a, a pierto caliente in Spain. I think a hot dog. Ooh. Are you serious? What? <laughs> that is totally yeah, yeah. correct, dude. I had a yeah. Did you Google that? <laughs> Sorry? Okay. Yeah. You didn't Google that, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no. Didn't Damn. Google. Congratulations. I, I, see, I wouldn't even Andrew. think a hot dog is a snack. That's a meal. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Well done. So, damn. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Arts and entertainment. <laughs> what was the setting for the Survivor Series featuring Rotu... Maramu and Saliantu tribes. Hot dog. Hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I might. I think that was season one, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. Rotu tribe, Maramu tribe, and Saliantu tribe. I think it's going to be. Was... Bor- I think it's going to be Borneo. Borneo. I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, that's in, uh, Unless that happens to be in the Marquesas Islands. No. Marquesas Islands? No. no. Okay. Close. All right. Close. Very good. All right. Moving yeah. on to history. <laughs> Jen and I are like, I don't know her either. <laughs> All right. What, uh, what former <laughs> math? <laughs> you, yeah, you guys are chiming in. Like, much, are you over there? Mm, <laughs> uh, what, uh, yes. Here we go. History. History. What former math professor told a court in 1998, my occupation, I suppose, now is jail inmate? Math professor, 1998, told the court, my occupation, I suppose, is now jail inmate. Is that Madoff? Very mad. The Unabomber? I, um, whose name I'm now? Uh, oh, Kaczynski? Is that Kaczynski, yeah. yeah. Theodore yeah. Kaczynski. Are you kidding correct. me? Dude. <laughs> All, right. All right, here we go. Science okay. and nature. Science okay. and nature. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You just went. <laughs> this is, what, no. uh, do you, have you ever gone on Jeopardy? Have you tried? No, but I have a, I have a journalist friend who, who won, and I used to do quiz like quiz night pub quiz night with him yep. and i was i was the worst one on the team and then i felt bad and then he won jeopardy so i was like okay <laughs> wow <laughs> you, was, you had part of it yeah, right? yeah. No, sorry. Threw a dollar your sorry. way oh. all right science <laughs> and nature what vitamin does hu- human skin synthesize when exposed to sunlight d right d d 
That is yeah. correct. Vitamin uh, D. Okay. Say it faster. Is a trick question? D, 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 D. Right. All right. Sports and leisure. Sports uh -oh. and leisure. Uh -oh. What must an NBA player keep at least an inch away from his knee at all times? It's not a cheerleader. Can't say that. <laughs> That's just wrong. I don't know. His, what? Short, his, his shorts? His shorts? That would be correct. Yeah. Wow. Keep his shorts Andrew. an inch away from his knee at all times. Dude. He's gonna do, it, do, do a food food question. I want to get answer one of those. We don't, we don't have food, but here's a wild Hot card. Hot dog. Here's wild card. What decade spawned the Kit Kat, the Caramello, and the Rolo, leading Ro, uh, leading Road Doll to dub it the Golden Age of Chocolate? Seventies. What decade spawned the Kit Kat, the Caramello, and the Rolo, and was dubbed the Golden Age of Chocolate? I think I'm gonna go with the fifties. Mm -hmm. The fifties. Uh, being correct. Try another one. What do you think? <laughs> uh, the twenties. MJ. Eighties. Later. The twenties. Twenties. Close. Uh, later. It was okay. the nineteen thirties. See, that's that's oh, later. Uh, that's, that's later. later. Yeah. Okay. Good job. All right. Good job. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Damn. That, that, <laughs> we could help. Right. You, you know, I, right. I kind of oh, thought yeah. you might do okay, <laughs> but wow. You did pretty. You did know, uh, very good. damn well Phew. on that. So, Phew. so very okay. good. Huh. All right. So, uh, do do us a favor. How can listeners buy your book, and uh, how can they find you on social media? Uh, social media is easy. Uh, Twitter is my preferred social media. Uh, AJ Blum, AJ B L U M, uh, and um, my book. I have one too. Um, you uh, should be in finer bookstores, um, or certainly on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. How, or how'd you get the real ones? I got the pirated one without the cover. I mean, <laughs> I got the hard cover. This is hard cover. <laughs> or just torrent it. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. no, we got. We I'll, I'll say this. Harper Collins was was kind enough to uh, send us some digital copies for the co-hosts to read, right. and then uh, some hard copies to to give away. So I will say this: uh, if you want a copy of Andrew's book. Uh, we will on our Twitter account at Stormfront Freak. Uh, keep a look on that for next week because we will post a way for you to enter a drawing uh, to win his book. So um, appreciate can I make having a, you. Can I make yeah. a quick suggestion with that? You Nobody's can. ever looked carefully at an Easter egg of the cover. The oh. clue. What? Okay. There's an, there's an Easter egg in the cover. All right. So don't no. tell us. Don't tell us. Okay. Don't tell us because that'll be win a, money that's a good tease. That's a, that's a good tease for all I have our a, listeners. most of a beer here that's expired. <laughs> most of a five-year-old beer that we've right. got for you. Uh, good. Well, well, hey, we'll hold on to that thought. Um, all right, guys, I want to let you guys know about uh, the Mid-Atlantic Chaser Con. This is coming up Saturday, October 26th. Uh, it's going to be at the Science Museum of Virginia in Richmond. They've got speakers from the National Weather Service, TV, and private sector, including Dr. John Scala, Howard Bernstein, and Brad Panovich, just to name a few. They've also uh, just announced that they've got an after-lunch panel that's going to be comparing mid-Atlantic chasing to chasing in the plains. So that sounds like a good time. Friday night, and if you get there early, they're going to have a social mixer and pizza at the Hampton Inn for chasers to be able to share their chase videos and photo and if you go you're also going to get an exclusive stormfront freaks i break for storms bumper sticker while you're there uh, online tickets are thirty dollars until they're sold out 
but they will end October 21st no matter what. So uh, they're expecting uh, capacity and not expecting any walk-up tickets. So uh, make sure you get those ahead of time, and you can get those by going to midatlanticchasercon.com. Again, that's midatlanticchasercon.com. So we're going to go ahead and take our final break. Uh, when we'll be right back with our uh, hashtag weather fools and I got to run to the garage because I got to bring back uh, weather troll by 5,000. We'll be right back. <laughs> uh, this is Brantley Hargrove, author of The Man Who Caught the Storm, and this is the Storm Front Freaks podcast. Let's take a drive under the Let's take a drive under the somber sky. Let's All right, guys. Welcome back to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. And it is the best part of the show, Weather Fools. These are the people that just do things that, come on, guys. I mean, why would you even consider doing that? Whether it's on social media, it's all over the world. Um, we kind of find them everywhere. And Phil has found three of them. And I believe we have one that someone sent to us and you can send them too. So if you see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that's just ridiculous. And why are they doing that? Send it in, let us know. But Phil, I want to know what your All right. Are. So I've, I've got three. Um, they, I didn't find as many this, this week, this past week as I normally have, but I tend to save these. Uh, so this was from Twitter. Uh, Matt Flournoy, who's at Rumblin' Matt. So he must, uh, he's, he's, he appears to be a storm chaser. But he said, um, 5.35 p.m., chasers parallel parked on the side of the road, making seven-point turns to turn around, and <laughs> tripods on the shoulder just directly impacted the hashtag Taurus19 project and our ability to better understand tornadic supercells. Something has to change now. And his, he posted one photo was... Uh, um, uh, radar scope picture with all the wow. chasers. Look at all the red dots, all oh, the yeah. storm spotters uh, following that. And then he, he had an actual photo. You could see the line of cars That's... Uh, just straight mm. ahead of him that were just brake lights and lines of it... cars. So. It's crazy chasing. When you th I, my first storm chase was when I was in grad school in 2008. And I mean, it was bad then. I'm surprised yeah. more bad things don't happen. It's, it, it's hit and miss. I mean, some some days can be really bad, and I think it depends on you know if the the forecast looks at a very tight spot, and yeah. or happens on a weekend or a holiday. Uh, you're you're definitely uh, definitely going to see tough days. But there are other days if things are spread out a little bit, or there's more than one target zone. Uh, on a weekday, it's I, I didn't think it's uh, necessarily that bad. But all right, next one comes also from uh, from Twitter, and this is Darren Brooks, who's at Utah WX Man. He says, "Come on, people, don't be stupid." Mm -hmm. Hashtag turn around, don't drown. And and here it is. He's obviously it's a flooded road. There's a truck. He's stopped right in his car, but here's a flooded road, and and the water's moving across the road. You can see it uh, build up. You can kind of see the the stream. Yeah, it's, it's moving, right? It's not yeah. stale water, and he's just plowing his truck. And further down the way, you can actually see. Does he make what it? What do you call that when? Uh, I, th I don't know if he does or not. You can't see it all the way. But what do you call when the water's just spraying like off the, 
the side. What do you call that? Like a tail, a water tail, or a water? Or is it creating its own wake? It's like it's a boat. Almost. That Almost. Is but crazy. anyway, just just stupid to be going across wow. this flowing. Uh, there's, it's got to be a river or something or a creek well, that's I mean, way over the road. Well, people don't understand though. He's gonna if he gets any water in his engine. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. gonna hurt yeah. his car. I mean, you it's know, just... funny thing is, I just saw one today that we'll have to do in two weeks uh, down in Texas. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, there's some flooding, serious flooding going on down there, and man, I just saw one today that uh, I'll share with everybody in a couple weeks on the next episode. Mm. It's definitely over the truck's front uh, front grill. Oh, wow. What are crazy. people thinking? All right, the last one comes from uh, a comes from Twitter as well. This is a future guest of ours, uh, Kevin Kleisel, uh, who's from the University of Oklahoma. He uh, had he's at Texas Embassy, by the way. He says, why are all these people sitting exposed with lightning everywhere? And if you watch, if you watch this, it looks like it's like a high school football game. And they're in the stands, but it, the no stands way. are covered. Stands are covered. But everyone's just sitting in the stands because they're not getting wet from the torrential downpour. But lightning is just flashing all over the place. Mm. And people are just watching it and they're filming it. But there's no protection from lightning, okay? <laughs> People, just because it's not raining on your head doesn't mean you can't get struck by lightning. Well, no, and that's a good point. So first of all, that's probably made of metal. So if, I was lightning, say. if lightning does strike them, it's then everybody. It's, I mean, wow. but you know, and another yeah. point too, talking about lightning. Um, they're sitting with their kids. Negative oh, yeah. strikes are most common underneath like the core of the storm, where it's the positive, more powerful strikes that come from the anvil on the outside. So they're on the outside of this storm. They're not mm-hmm. right underneath it, which means like they could potentially get a positive lightning strike or they have more opportunity. I mean, that's that is crazy. I would be mm-hmm. running for the hills. Just- yeah, and, and uh the the tweet, uh the tweet of the video was actually from Mike Sando senior writer for The Athletic. Uh, and he said, our high school lightning delay last week looked more impressive. Yeah, yeah I don't know if that's you call that impressive. Ooh. That's, that's maybe not what I would say there. But oh so, my gosh. Very yeah. fortunate. Now, do we All have right. one more? That's it. Those are my three. That was three? That was All fast. right. Sorry. I know that was fast. Um, and, and thanks for the comments, though, too. And Shane's like, Shane Adams is like, it's always a pickup that tries to run through the flooded water. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That is true. They got to remember that with the water. It gets in there, too. All right, guys. So if you want to see the Weather Fools, kind of examine it again, laugh at it again, and be like, what are they doing? Um, it's posted on our show notes, episode 88. And you can get that by going to stormfrontfreaks.com or on your favorite podcast app. Very good. All right. So, hey, I ran out to the garage during the last break. Uh, we haven't had our Weather Trollbot 5000 back uh, for a long time. Uh, but so we've been, I've been collecting some trolls. Uh, we, we got a good group of trolls tonight. So if you love Weather Trollbot 5000, you're going to like it tonight. Was it Janice uh, Dean? Is that the last time? Janice. She might She might have been the last one. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been right. a few episodes. Uh, so I will say this. Our, our disclaimer uh, especially on our unedited uh, video, is this is not for family. Uh, Weather Trollbot 5000, we bought her at a garage sale uh, probably about a year or so ago. She's kind of old. She's a little crusty, and she will say whatever she wants to say. 
So this is definitely put the earmuffs on the kids or send the kids to bed is probably the best solution. <laughs> uh, if it's the edited version, we usually beep all this stuff out. But um, uh, we're going to make MJ, we're going to keep MJ busy in the editing booth uh, today. So Weather Troll by 5000, here's what we do. We, I, I'm going to find, uh, I scoured social media, found all kinds of examples of trolls that are trolling our weather friends, our meteorologists on TV and, and in social media and on the internet and just saying stupid things. And, and what's great about our weather friends is that they're always very professional. They respond nice and professional, and, but you know they probably weren't thinking that when they responded <laughs> that way. And so what Weather Trollbot 5000 does is we input all that information and then she spits out what that weather person was actually thinking when they responded all sweet and nice, okay? And it's not, not always beautiful. So here's the first one. You guys will like this. Uh, this was actually shared with us from a listener. Pawnee Storm Chasers uh, passed this on to us, and, and uh, this was first found by another uh, listener, Nick, uh, Nicholas Isabella. Uh, but this was from Facebook. Uh, Jim Oakley, you know, and we're not going to hide the names. If you're a troll and saying stupid uh, we're going to call you out. So Jim Oakley commented on Weather Nation meteorologist Meredith Garofalo's Facebook page. Oh, no. And so uh, this was to Meredith Garofalo. She, she's uh, at the Weather Nation. Jim said, listen to this, looks like an unprofessional slut. Is she there to do the weather or to, to, to seduce someone, dress professionally, or stay home? Oh my! So that's what Jim said. Now Meredith, being professional and educated and everything else, she can't. She said, "Hi Jim, I'm actually a degreed meteorologist presenting important information. That's unfortunate you feel that way. Stay safe in Arkansas this weekend." (laughs) (laughs) That was very nice. That was very very nice. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna punch all that information in (laughs) to the weather weather troll bot. And then what, what we, she has to do is she has to calculate all this information. And then let's see, uh, let's see, let's kick back what she said. Here's what Meredith was really thinking. Damn, Jim. You really know how to piss off and turn away a woman with a higher education in meteorology than you. Wish I could say I really care about how you feel, but I do not. Remember to give your mommy a kiss before you go to bed tonight and ask why she did not take the time to teach you how to respect women, you unprofessional a-hole. There we go. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is so fantastic. Meredith, that I'm work. proud of you. Yep, yeah, Meredith. I love that. I'm, I'm definitely proud of you on that one. All right, so we're not done. I got oh, a good. few more here. A few. To share with you. Yep, okay, so the next one, this, this is from Twitter. You guys know, have you heard of Josh, Josh Morgerman? Yes, uh, yes. He is at iCyclone on, on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he chases hurricanes, and, and he's, he's now, I think, got a show coming out. Yes. Um, he, was, he was recently in the Bahamas um, uh, and, and was stuck on what, 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 was the, what was that particular island? Is it you guys Abaco? Remember? Was it Abaco? Abaco. That's what it yeah. was, yep. So, uh, so, and so this was pretty recent. This was from Jeremy. Jeremy responded to Josh on Twitter. Here was Jeremy. He said... Yeah, f- this guy. It's a little insensitive to do a show glorifying hurricanes just after two entire communities in the Bahamas were decimated by one. I encourage all those with good taste to boycott this f- clown. 
Jer- Jeremy was not just not in yeah. a good mood. Yeah, mm. something was not right there. But here's what Josh said. Josh, professional guy in the weather industry. He said, glorifying, I've spent years showing folks scary, horrible videos of hurricanes to get them to understand the danger, both online and at the hurricane preparedness events. I will continue to educate without apology. Good for him. Yeah. Right. That's well right. said. Well said. Well, well said. Nice professional. So, but we're going to punch that into Weather Trollbot. Because <laughs> I, I really kind of want to get an idea what Josh was probably thinking. Can we do Weather Trollbot every night at like five? <laughs> we, we, we'd probably have to find enough examples, which we probably could. But all right. Let's see. Let's see. Kick this baby out. Here's what Josh was really thinking. Glorifying? Ed. I have been doing this for years to help educate people about preparedness and the dangers of hurricanes. What good have you done to help? Nothing, I am sure. Take yourself right back to the little hole you live in and find something worth a piss to do. (laughs) That's awesome. Josh was nice with his real response. Uh, But yeah, he, he was probably thinking what most of us were thinking. At that point, Maz, you can come back now. Yeah, sorry, I had uh, audio and video <laughs> trouble there. I don't know what happened. All right, all right, next one, next one. Hey, Jen, do you know do you know Mark Elliott? Uh, we just lost Jen. So Mark Elliott is, is, <laughs> is at the Weather Channel, uh, and this was on Twitter uh, with a comment from Patrick. So this is Patrick's comment. Uh, Mark was talking about the, the hurricane and it potentially threatening Florida coast, et cetera, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Patrick said, calm down and stop scaring people. Be honest. Shut up. You're a joke. Learn how to pair a tie with an outfit or stop wearing one. Mm. This storm will do nothing to Florida, and you have known this for a long time, and you know it. Your channel is atrocious. So, Jen, this was Mark Elliott. I do know uh, Mark. I've actually com- known all of them that you've mentioned so far. Okay. Mm. So, so that was the comment to Mark, and Mark's response, nice. He said, so many demands... So little time. Uh, (laughs) Despite Patrick's expertise, I hope you are still staying ready and vigilant along the Florida coast. Uh, But let's go ahead. We're going to punch that into Trollbot because we got to find out. You know Mark, Jen, so he he probably was thinking something a little different, right? I know. I can't wait to hear this, actually. All right. Let's see what he said. Here's what Mark was really thinking. What a f***. You obviously don't know so I'm keeping the smart public on the Florida coast aware of dangers they need to stay vigilant for. I think it is time for you to change the channel because Sesame Street is starting now. Hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. That so, is so yeah, awesome. Yeah, that is good. Mark, well well done. I, oh, I that, what happened? You. I missed something there. <laughs> you did. All right. So, all right. Next one. Uh, this is from Facebook. Uh, this is Lauren Rainson at There's Acuweather. more? There's more. Lauren Rainson at AccuWeather. And this was a comment from John Mason. Uh, John said, so here's what happened. Lauren moved on from her local job to go work at AccuWeather. John said, good riddance. We don't need a hack and a turd like you in Peoria anyways. Mm. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, I know. Is that crazy? Don't let the door hit your on the way out. What is wrong with people? (laughs) We we should record what you just said and use that a lot. I'm waiting. Can I be the bot 5000? She's got plenty of stuff. So Lauren came back and said, so I'm a hack and a turd because I received an incredible opportunity to continue to grow as a broadcast meteorologist, 
sir, you need help. Good for her. Good right. for her. So that's what she said. So let's go ahead. We'll uh, we're gonna we're gonna punch that in. Can I hold my breath on this one? Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know what to expect. It's probably gonna be good, whatever it is. All right, let's find out. Uh, so this was Lauren. So this is gonna be kind of her response, or at least what Weather Trollbot thought. This this little the, it comes out in paper like a little uh, stream of paper, like an old register and it's not coming out either. No, I don't know if I believe you. Here <laughs> Here's what Lauren was really thinking. Turd, that is hilarious. Ever think a sorry like you is the reason I am getting out of Peoria? Turd, makes me smile. Thanks for that. Personally, I like using the term piece of to describe people like you. Okay. She I says don't her. so avoid turd, just say piece of just get to the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. Next one. No, there's two, not. We really? Two, we, we I'm in love with Maz right now. Maz, get your coffee. Don't get We the built tears. these babies up. We built these things up. I need All to right. Fill up my hey, and MJ, you might know this. Uh, Mike Og, Ogstaniak, WCCO. Oh, Minneapolis. Yeah. Mike Ogstaniak. Anyway, in the Twin Cities, meteorologists Twin Cities. This was a comment on Twitter from Gary Shade. Gary said, uh, climate change makes extremes even more extreme? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. You said that today? Provide some scientific proof rather than your opinion, or you're no better than Bill Nye, who is not a science guy. Uh, Mike came back and said, yeah, what Mike said, uh, hi, Gary. No need to yell. <laughs> uh, does it help to know that I'm a meteorologist with a master's degree who's been studying and researching physics and climate for the last 20 years, and you're not? So a professional way to kind of stick it to him a little bit, but let's, uh, we got to punch this in because this might be good too. And calculate. And here we go. Here's what Mike was really thinking. Ha <laughs> ha. Gary, you are no f science guy either. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not have enough time on air, and I am sure you do not have the comprehension to cover all the facts, but keep screaming with all those question marks and exclamation points, because if you type loud enough, maybe someone will give a about your thoughts. <laughs> that is, that's one of my favorites, actually. If you type loud enough, someone might so, someone give a what, yeah. Wasn't Bill Nye the physics guy or the engineering guy? I think it was yeah. engineering. Bill engineering, Nye, the engineering guy. Yeah. No, I think no. I know the show. I don't. Uh, tr truthfully, I don't. I think he's en engineering. I think. All yeah. right, here's the last one, guys. Last one hits close to home. This was on Facebook on the Stormfront Freaks podcast Facebook page, um, uh, and what it was was we posted, and it was me. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll take Jen and MJ and Maz. You are not responsible for this. You have any issues? Email Phil at stormfrontfreaks.com. Uh, but we posted a, a flip.it article about President Trump when he suggested nuking hurricanes to stop them from hitting America. Um, and, and what was this was all kinds of news uh, outlets talked about this. And no one really said he, you know, he was the one that said this. But I posted it because it, the article talked about here's why nuking a hurricane will not work. Because there are people that do actually believe this could be something we could happen, right? Oh, we'll just nuke it. 
And so that was the whole reason for posting it, to help people educate that, that you can't really do this. So here's what happened. We posted this, and then it was uh, Christine Lors posted on our Facebook and said, he never said that. <laughs> Their source was an undeclosed person in a nation, I think she meant national, security briefing that supposedly told one dude, that told another dude and another. So it's plausible but never directly quoted. Quit saying things that aren't true in your crappy clickbait articles. Trump said this. No, actually, you can't prove that he did. Word of mouth is crap, and people will find any excuse to hate the president no matter what. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I hate politics, and I hate it more now than I ever have. I don't really follow it. I know as a U.S. citizen, I still will vote when I need to. Uh, but, but I hate politics. I hate being involved in it, and I try to avoid it at all costs. But... This person pissed, pissed me off. So I, I responded back. We didn't say we thought President Trump mentioned nuking hurricanes. Not sure where you saw that. We posted an article about a widely reported story in an effort to raise awareness about what is and what isn't plausible in regards to hurricanes. I encourage you to check our entire social media feed over the last two to three years to determine if we have any history of reporting hate towards the president because you won't find it. Uh, and I said, sorry, you took it personal. Well, she came back and said, did you read what you even posted? Trump suggests nuking hurricanes. So if you didn't say it, who did? Ha ha, you guys are ridiculous. I have blocked your garbage podcast. <laughs> and I finished, I finished and said, it's the title of the article from flip.it. It's not our title. Read your own screen grab because she sh shared a screen grab. I said, congratulations for becoming the next entry to our Weather Trollbot 5000 so you can hear what we were really thinking. That's epic. That's awesome. All right. So we're going to punch in our own little uh, our, our own little situation here. And now remember, this was me. I was the one that responded to that. So she's, she's really going to be interpreting what I was really thinking. Um, so this is going to be fun because I can see how close she really was. <laughs> here is what Phil at the Stormfront Freaks was really thinking. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Calm the down. If you took the time to look instead of jumping out of your Make America Great Again pajamas, when you see material like this, you'll notice we didn't write it. It is simply a post of another media company's article that also explains why you can't nuke hurricanes. There are people that believe this is an option so it is important to teach that it will not work. Now, Sharpie Gate and the potential Alabama hurricane is a whole other story isn't it? But hey, Keep making America great again with that attack anyone that doesn't share your views attitude of yours. Weather Trollbot 5000 is going to f*** you up. Oh! And she did. Ooh. Weather Trollbot Boom! <laughs> that is epic. That is epic. Can we do this like every episode? Uh, yeah, we just won't do six or seven. Uh, we'll, we'll, say, we'll just do a couple at a time maybe. But, <laughs> Seems like we used to yeah. do but, two. But but go ahead and help us help us out. MJ's trying to show yeah. me something, but I can't see it because you got the little. He's like, look how many there were. I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly I'm actually exactly. sweating over here. I don't know what. All right, happening. so so folks, uh, if you have any that you would like to share, whether it's weather fools, whether you've seen trolls on social media, you want to share with us, uh, you can get a hold of us uh, on our social media accounts. Twitter, it's at Stormfront Freak. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. And Instagram, just search uh, Stormfront Freaks. Uh, you can also email us at questions 
at stormfrontfreaks.com, and we'll be happy to include those and, and highlight you as well. So I think that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks Podcast, Maz. Uh, Thank you. You can cool yourself off a little <laughs> Thank bit. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening or watching. And before I reveal our next guest, if you enjoy our show, uh, do us a favor. Leave a great review on your podcast app or tag us on your social media account, and we'll share it on the next show. And don't forget to subscribe or follow the show. All you do is you hit your podcast app, subscribe or follow button. Works just like a magazine or a newspaper subscription, and it assures the latest show gets delivered right to your podcast inbox the moment that we release it. Uh, special thanks tonight, especially you guys would agree. Special thanks to Andrew Blum, our guest tonight. Yeah, you did a great job. Yeah, yeah. good job, we Andrew. Of, we had a lot of fun with Andrew. Um, and our next episode in two weeks, we're going to be recording on October 3rd with the Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Fort Worth, Jennifer Dunn, is going to be our guest. So if you'd like to watch the recording live, it's going to be at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Uh, just check out our YouTube channel by searching Stormfront Freaks. So for MJ, Maz, and Jen, I think it's time. I'm going to signal the all clear, and we're going to catch you guys next time. Good night, everybody. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. And watch our live and recorded shows on YouTube. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you are there, check out our live interactive storm chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.